are entering the Freedom Hut. It's a national emergency. It's a pandemic. The country is increasingly on lockdown. I will walk you through everything that is going on right now, what we are facing, what we should expect. Also, in case anybody cares, there was a Democratic debate last night. A little bit of that and some other things, too, coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Two very big words. The action I am taking will open up access to up to $50 billion of very importantly, very important and a large amount of money for states and territories and localities in our shared fight against this disease. In furtherance of the order, I'm urging every state to set up emergency operation centers effective immediately. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. We are feeling like we're in a whole new world right now. That's understandable. I'm here in New York City. In fact, I'm in a, a mobile freedom hut, in a sense. Uh, we've had to set up at, at different locations to make sure we can do this social distancing and walking around a little bit just to do essential errands because I'm adhering as much as I can to the requests of uh, city authorities and health experts not to spend time um, out there in what is increasingly feeling like the red zone. We are in for a tough eight weeks, at least. I'm hoping that within the next two to three weeks, people will realize that this is manageable, but we are in for a tough, a tough period here. There's no question about that. Uh, You have cities across the country now, Los Angeles, New York, about to or already having decided that restaurants need to shut down. Public places need to close their doors. Market got absolutely crushed as soon as it opened this morning. We're in a tough spot. We're going to get through it as a country, and I want to try to mix realism with a necessary and very valid optimism as we spend time here together. But for many of you, I'm just going to say this right now. You, team, are my connection to the outside world. I am trying to stay locked down here for the foreseeable. So this show, behind, uh, behind the walls of, of a building that is increasingly surrounded by people who are trying to avoid even being on the street. This show will be my uh, outreach to the the rest of the world. We're all supposed to keep away from each other. New York City, just so you get some sense of, for those of you who live out in the country, you don't see that many people, you're in a rural area, uh, there's a very different feeling, and I think that's understandable. New York City is already about to become ground zero for this. Same city that was the ground zero for the 9-11 attacks is in the midst of becoming the single epicenter of this disease which is changing our daily lives and who knows what the final economic impact of it all will be who knows where all of this is really going at this point all i can tell you is we've got to come together as a country and do everything that we can to help each other try to mitigate the risks to our economy to businesses try to do whatever we can to assist and this is uh, this is trump's war now 
You know, you are seeing wartime Trump. There's no way around it. This is what his entire administration will be judged on. And I have all these updates for you on what's happening. It was definitely un unsettling over the weekend as more information came in about the shutdowns. And that's something that you can't you can't ignore easily because everyone understands that these restaurants that are getting closed, movie theaters are being closed, uh, bars are shut down. Now, there were some people that were a bit uh, defiant about this over the weekend. There were those who, for example, down in uh, New Orleans, a wonderful town that I'm quite fond of and hope to get back to very soon. Some people in New Orleans were out there on the streets enjoying themselves. And look, I understand for people, there's a there's a risk calculation that has to be done here. There's a what's acceptable for each individual. But then there's also what's acceptable as as community risk, because this is about health beyond just every individual. This is about the risk to anyone that you come across, even if you don't have symptoms. Here is uh, the New Orleans police making the rounds on Bourbon Street down in New Orleans and talking about or telling people that they got to they got to go home. You can't be out here in the streets. You can't be drinking. Here's what they had to say. Play 21. Your actions are jeopardizing public health over loudspeakers. You cannot be out in the streets. For a lot of people, this is already feeling very Orwellian, and I understand this. The same way that the state after 9-11, which certainly changed my life, 9-11 is why I joined the CIA, the, the state increased its power, increased its spending, increased its authority in ways that were, in some cases, necessary, but in many cases, uh, completely, I think, in the long run, unjustified, bad ideas. You don't want state power grabs. And when public health is in jeopardy like this, this is just alongside with a war scenario where the government in the past has rounded people up and put them in internment camps. This this government, the United States government, has suspended habeas corpus. This government has done things that were flatly unconstitutional because of a crisis. We're going to see more of that. Where is the constitutional authority for a mayor, for a governor to shut down businesses, to shut down uh, non-government private entities that are not breaking any laws? Well, they're going to say it's under police powers, under public health authorities. In fact, you can go back to the very earliest days of the republic and quarantine is something that has always been with us. We've seemed to think in recent decades that we've beat this, that we're so advanced medically that we never have to worry about these things anymore. But go back and read about John Adams and the, the fear um, that was just tearing through um, the colonies and then the United States from, what was it, I think 1776 until about 1782, 83, there was a smallpox epidemic that uh, that ripped through the states and that Adams himself and his family uh, had to bear the brunt of, along with, of course, many other founders at the time of just 
if you've seen the John Adams series on HBO, you remember that there was a whole sequence where they were dealing with the smallpox outbreak and, and trying to figure out what to do about that. Smallpox, I would notice the single, I, I, I believe, has been the single greatest uh, killer of human beings in the new world since the founding of the new world. It, it, it was the, the thing that wiped out the most Native Americans. You've got about a 30% mortality rate before modern medicine from smallpox. So you had a one in three shot, but it spread like wildfire and people were contagious for weeks with smallpox. So we've been here before in a sense, but it's been a while and we've lost uh, we've lost that mentality that this is something we're going to have to deal with. So this is going to be new. It's going to be unsettling. Now, I understand there's still a big debate out there and we're going to get into the media side of this. The media is such a disgrace when it comes to this. Not all of them. Some people are taking this seriously. Some people who are journalists recognize that their family members, their loved ones are also you know, in the line of fire here. They understand that this is an all hands on deck situation and that there's plenty of time. We have an election coming up. Anyone who feels the need to blame Trump unnecessarily right now is a disgrace, dishonorable and just completely childish. We have an election in what, six months now? And that election will be the opportunity that all the American people have to pass judgment on how this administration handled this pandemic. We don't have to hear every day from psycho libs about how Trump is worse than Hitler. And if Joe Biden was in charge or Bernie Sanders was in charge, nobody would be dying right now. That's idiocy. There are people that are still sticking to that, though, that we'd be in such better shape. We'd be so much better off if only somebody other than Donald Trump was the commander in chief. I think that we may have been saved from a wave of death in this country that will never really fully appreciate uh, how much we were able to avoid just because of the flight, uh, the flight ban out of China, the travel ban. They won't give the president uh, any credit for this. So we're, we're going to look. This is the story. There are other things I, I was on when I say self quarantine, by the way, referring to myself, just understand I have not been. Uh, and, you know, God forbid and say a prayer for me. I'm saying prayers for all of you. I've not been in contact with anybody confirmed to have coronavirus. So I'm not in self-quarantine because I, ha- I feel I have to be. But we're being told in New York City that you got to stay indoors right now. If you can go out for groceries. I'm going to talk about that, by the way, because, you know, we're not allowed to do a lot of things. But you go into a grocery store around here and you're shoulder to shoulder with hundreds of people coughing, sneezing, close quarters. It's not good. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to say, but I, I'm not self-quarantining because I have to. Uh, I'm, I'm semi-quarantined, if you will, like millions of other New Yorkers are now, working from home, doing everything that I can to help limit the spread of this, as, as we all are. So this is going to be something that we're on for a while now, for uh, my friends. This is like the, the, the quarantine freedom hut, if you will. I mean, we are going to, Continue to talk to each other. The show will continue as I promised you it would as normal. But this is a story that will continue on for at least weeks, probably months, similar to if we were fighting a major war against a foreign country. That's how much focus it will get. That's how much attention will be on this. Uh, Those of you who think that this is all still overblown, because I'm hearing from some of you. In fact, I was getting uh, some criticism from the team over the weekend and of course i'm reading through all i all i have time to do now is research do these shows 
provide you with the best information. And also, look, it's diversion for me. It's diversion for all of us, right? We'll talk. I'll talk to you about what movies and TV shows and things I'm watching here. I cooked a roast tarragon chicken that took hours. I mean, it took like two and a half hours of cooking to get this thing done. It was amazing. But when you're stuck at home and you can't go out to restaurants, you can't go to a gym, you can't go to church, you can't go to a movie. Now's when you start thinking. So we'll talk about things you can do at home as well. I mean, I want this to be the place that all of you can turn to every day now while we're facing this and not only just get information and, and updates on everything, but also <clears throat> hopefully I can share some worthwhile thoughts about how we get through this together and not just on the medical side, but what we're hoping to get on the other side of this. I, I still I'm telling you and I'm going to remind you of this, that there will come a day when I sit down with producer Mark and we're drinking margaritas on the sidewalk in Tribeca and I'm saying, man, that was tough, but we made it through. God bless America. I'm hoping it'll be May or June. It might not be till September or October, but we will get there. I can assure you of that. And, and I will keep that in mind as we as we do this show. But here's where we are. I mean, I, I have to now get you get you to some of the what this country is is facing. And, you know, I think we all have a pretty serious trust in Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, who's head of CDC. And here's what he is saying as of the weekend. Producer uh, Mark, play five. And you say, as we heard, that the virus may continue to get worse for another two months. There have been estimates of hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. who could die or in the worst case scenario, millions. Can you tell the American people that that is possible? You know, it's possible because when you do a model, you have a worst case scenario, the best case scenario. And the reality is how you react to that will depend where you're going to be on that curve. So obviously, we are clearly going to have more infections. There's going to be more problems uh, with regard to morbidity and mortality. The challenge we have right now is how do we blunt that? You know, I've said many times, if you just leave it alone and let the virus to its own devices, it'll go way up and then it'll come down naturally over a period of several weeks. So that's where we are. We're trying to prevent that from happening. Those of you that think that this is overblown, I hope you are right. If we don't see anything in the weeks ahead that justifies this degree, because I was getting your complaints and I understand people, some people think that this is still completely uh, exaggerated. The risk is not what we're being led to believe. If if that is the case, we also will have time for the the great reckoning with the media and with uh, efforts to undo this administration, bring it down because of the pathetic Democrat feel they have. They know that they were in bad shape before this. And they also are very many of them, at least in the media and the Democrat apparatus, the left. They are rooting against the country. That's that's true. Some more openly than others. Some were celebrating today when you had a Dow, uh, a Dow at below 21,000. I guess they think that everybody who has a 401k is a bad person and a fat cat that deserves to feel pain. I mean, this is this is appalling stuff that we are seeing. I hope that those of you who think this is overblown are correct. I'm no longer in the prediction business here. I just don't know. I've been as optimistic about this as I can be in good conscience all along. I continue to be optimistic, but I'm also now telling you that I limit my exposure outdoors for the next few days, maybe the next few weeks, to getting food and uh, tending to family members of mine who can't go out because of their age. That's it. That's what I do. So I hope you're right. I'm not sure where this is going to shake out. We have to take this as seriously as the health authorities, 
are saying for now, and we'll see. But all you have to do is look at what's going on in Italy and what's, a, what's happening right now in Spain and in France and in the UK, and it's deeply concerning. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I might make a point that people sometimes think that you're overreacting. I like it when people are thinking I'm overreacting because that means we're doing it just right. He's telling you to overreact. And this guy, let's understand this. I mean, he has basically lived for this moment, meaning I mean, he was put on Earth. You've got to think if you've spent decades as an infectious disease specialist, studying pandemics, working on pandemics, as Dr. Fauci has, this, this, is your, this is your fight. This is why he has done all the things that he's done. Now, I can appreciate that he is willing to say that this might feel like an overreaction to some people and that that's where he wants this to be. This is what I've been saying all along. Trump is telling us, and then we'll get into the media narratives around this. Trump has been telling us, look, guys, we got it. We're serious, but it's going to be okay. And the media says, oh, he's downplaying it and everything else. And they say, look what the health authorities say. Yeah, the health authorities are going to tell you what the, that you should behave in order to avoid a worst case scenario because a worst case scenario is possible. They can't tell you, you know, it's the same reason why you know, at some level you got to have uh, at the bottom of advertisements that show people doing crazy things, you know, don't do this at home. Who really needs to be told that? Well, you know, they got to they got to gauge it so that no one, no matter how foolish somebody may be, no one can blame them and say, well, you told me this would be OK. You told me to take my mountain bike and try to jump 15 cars that were on fire or whatever and put it on my Instagram story. That's what they're that's what they're dealing with. People that are acting like this is no big deal at all. And I have to say that's I'm seeing more and more stories that make me think. Not only is it a big deal for people that are in the high risk category, it's a problem for anybody to get this disease right now. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have a compromised immune system, but I'm still only 21. But I'm not even worried because I just take supplements and, like, I self-medicate, so it's fine. And see, that's not a good idea. That's not a that's not a smart move. That's not a good place for this to be right now. And it's it's troubling to me that we have people running around saying things like I take enough supplements, so I'm not worried about this. Remember, even if you're not worried for yourself, you have to be worried for those in the high risk population. And you can't self-regulate whether or not you're contagious because there's a lot of information out there already that for a few weeks you can be perhaps contagious without even having any symptoms without knowing anything about what's going on so people need to keep that in mind as well and younger people will get this but there are stories out there and i was speaking to a an md look yeah everyone's now speaking to all the mds they know so this isn't some insider track thing every doctor that i know when i can i ask them about this and you know there there are a few major stressors on the system that we're trying to avoid we keep hearing about the ventilators and the masks and, you know, those are important issues to be sure. And there was a fascinating story out of Italy about how a hospital was about to run out of some piece of equipment for the ventilators and a 
a private company came along with a 3D printer and just started making that piece for the ventilators. And who knows how many people that that one act of having that 3D printer. Thank you, capitalism uh, may have saved. Uh, And by the way, I'm also trying to spend more of the the beginning of the show. I don't want to make this as nonpartisan a discussion from the outset as we can. And then I'm going to have to push back on the partisan garbage. But I'm always going to try to to invert the pyramid a little bit for what's essentially a a political talk show, which is what I'm doing here. Focus on the realities of this disease, what we're facing and and what's going on first and then get into, you know, I'm going to try this as much as as much as I can. Uh, But young people can get this. Oh, what I was saying about the the stressor points uh, is that if you start getting health professionals who are getting this. Now, that's really bad because now your frontline treatment folks, they're taken offline. Some of them will end up in the ICU. I mean, some of the best doctors are going to be people who are in their 50s and 60s. And if they're taken offline, now you're losing your ability to help people that will have trouble breathing and will be in emergency rooms and be be in real distress. Because everybody knows right now you don't want to go to the ER. You go if you need to, which is always true, I know. But in particular right now, you want to make sure that you're keeping it at that threshold of uh, you're you're worried realistically, not worried just because you worry a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who can sometimes worry more than I should. I know what that's like. So supplements are not something that'll stop this. Do stay healthy as much as you can in terms of keeping your immune system strong. That's very, very important here. The spread of this disease is certainly affected by the immunity of every individual that it comes into contact with. Uh, it's also a reminder that the medical community doesn't know nearly as much about a lot of things as we would like them to, which is really what I've been saying. You know, we've felt like we're pretty safe for a while. We had the SARS and MERS and these things that 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 really blew over quickly. This one doesn't seem like it's going to blow over quickly. And so that's why you have now the, the let, let me get into the draconian steps. What's going on right now? Uh One of the big ones is the closing of businesses, which I've been talking to you about. And that's that's going to be tough. I I don't really know how that will end up uh, affecting restaurants. They're going to have to keep paying their rent. They got no income. Maybe they can do some takeout business and pickup business. But it's going to be very hard to meet. You know, they're real bread and butter for most places, at least most brick and mortar restaurants in New York City uh, is going to be dining in the place waiters make most of their money off of the servers rather pardon me make most of their money off of tips that's going away and a lot of the big ticket meals you know things people aren't going to order a bottle of wine from a restaurant necessarily especially if you got some at home already and they do a huge markup on that so a lot of the booze beer this is how restaurants make money so they stay in business you know while maybe making a little tin of chicken tenders for you to take out Gets them. By the way, you should do that. I'm not saying that that's not a good idea, not only because chicken tenders are delicious, but also because you need to keep revenue going for places. But there's no way to make up for the loss of revenue that's going on right now in these restaurants. And we keep hearing from the federal government about how they're going to help places pay for what they have to and give them no interest loans and all this. Look, the Fed has basically done all that it can do. And the markets looked at it and said, not good enough. That's concerning. So there's the there's the economic cost of this from these draconian measures. And by the way, I'm calling them draconian, not necessarily because and I think that comes from Draco, a Greek, a Greek tyrant. 
I think I'm right about that. I could be wrong. Um, but Dracos, maybe? But the step that's going to get a lot of people, at least here in New York City, really, really concerned that's just happening right now is the closing of public schools. Play clip four. So I regret to have to announce that as of tomorrow, our public schools will be closed. In other words, to all parents who are hearing this now, there is no school tomorrow, and we will be suspending our public schools until after the spring vacation. And I'm going to say this very precisely. We will make a first attempt to restart our schools on Monday, April 20th. But I have to be honest that we're dealing with a lot of unknowns and a lot of challenges. What he's saying here, the mayor of New York, and he's been mediocre in the way that he talked in his response at a time when this is showing you who people that are in politics who claim to be leaders. You're seeing if that's true right now. You're seeing if they're really leaders or if they're hacks. Some people are stepping up. Some Democrats are doing better than I would have expected based upon how wrong they are about so many other policies. But this is this is a really straightforward mission. Keep people safe. Keep people from dying. We're all in this together. Couldn't be any more clear in terms of a mission statement. Some politicians, I think, are rising to this moment. Others continue to be the partisan clowns they've always been. And I guess we should expect that at some level. But de Blasio saying that schools are closing down here in New York. And by the way, I know I, I can't speak to individual closures across the because there's so many places now. I don't even know how many states have had closures. I think every single state in the union except for or you know, every single state of our 50, except for uh, West Virginia, actually, has had a confirmed case as I go to air here, although I'm sure that'll probably, West Virginia will probably have its first case you know, today sometime. And we're looking at thousands and thousands of confirmed cases across the country. So schools are shutting down all over the place. And that's probably a good idea based on, if you look at the history, for example, of trying to stop the spread of Spanish flu, which I guess, what are we supposed to call that now? Is it, is it racist to call it Spanish flu? Wasn't even really from Spain. In fact, might have started here and then made its way over there because of trench warfare in the First World War and then spread among soldiers. And anyway, there's, we're not, they're not really sure where it came from. Um, but, any, but what we're facing here with the shutdown of the schools is taking the lessons that would have been learned previously from epidemics like the Spanish flu and say, okay, places that did the big shutdowns fared much better. That's that's the lessons learned learned being applied here. But it's amazing when you start to think about how dependent so many communities are on the public school system for more than just educating children. And I'm not going to try to get into a whole, you know, teaching our children to be little statists and everything, because that's what public schools, unfortunately, do. There's a lot of brainwashing and ideological nonsense that goes on. Uh, but there's also the reality of children needing public schools for food. Here in New York City, and this is a stunning figure, and I, I want to know how they, they come to it and what the real parameters of it are, because the number's so high. They say there are over 100,000 homeless Children. Now, by that, I think they mean children that don't have one specific home to go to. Doesn't mean that there are 100,000 children living on the street, obviously, but they put this number out there. Uh, I think our home insecure is another way to put it. Sometimes they're with grandma. Sometimes they're with an uncle. Sometimes they're with a friend. 
and they rely on the public school system for food because they're not they can't uh, count on being fed wherever it is that they're going to be sleeping on any given night. So they're trying to leave open public schools here in New York so that people have a place to get a meal. Kids have a place to get a meal. A big problem with shutting down the schools, other than the loss of study time, although I do think that this is going to be something of an awakening for a lot of um, of people who have never thought about homeschooling or just never really thought about how much learning can really be done at home. Uh, there is going to be a change in that in that perception. What are you really what are your kids really learning in public school? Would it be better if you had modules that you were doing at home or if you set up with other, with other parents some kind of uh, version of a you know would it be like your own homeschool slash charter school i mean this is charter schools or public schools with a different operating uh, parameter but nonetheless you see what i'm saying i mean there must be ways and i think there will be ways that people try to adapt to this uh, but also the public school system is really the state's massive child care program it's it's really taxpayer funded for a lot of people. It's taxpayer funded babysitting because you have a lot of single parent households and you have a lot where the, where the parent has to work. And you have a lot of parent uh, double or you know, two parent, double parent households, two parent households where both parents have to work. And so and they can't afford child care. So without the public schools in session, I, I wonder what's going to go on here. I mean, you are going to see real changes in behavior because remember, it's not like people are on vacation. They can't go. They can't go and hang out with their friends, you know, at the ball field. They can't go to a movie together. They can't hang out at the mall. That's not happening. You're going to be home. People are going to be stuck in homes, assuming they obey these uh, the guidance from public health authorities, which I also think public health authorities have about two weeks max. I, I in my estimation. Now, again, this is just my analysis of it. I think they've got about two weeks weeks max where if we don't see that their precautions are warranted, there's a very serious possibility that people are just going to say, no, nope, I'm done. I'm going I'm to live my life. I'm not doing this anymore. So that's why I'm, I'm willing to give it a go right now and do as much as I can based on the guidelines as they're talking about them. I mean, I also have to be responsible to the fact that if I were to say, or if anybody walked into um, not just my radio studio, but anywhere at iHeartMedia, which is a very large company that I, I work for, it's the company that syndicates my radio show. Uh, if I were to go in or if anyone were to go in and have uh, Wuhan virus, which I know now there's all these different ways, people that like to say, you can't call it that, call it coronavirus. Well, coronavirus is very nonspecific. And that's not going to be the eventual term that I think we end up using. If you want to be scientifically correct, they saw they call it SARS-CoV-2. So you could call it SARS-CoV-2 or you could call the actual disease that SARS-CoV-2 causes COVID-19. But we tend to call things what we're going to call them. And I, I think we should call it Wuhan virus. And I think that China does bear a lot of responsibility for lying about this in this whole process. But we don't have that much time before people start saying we're just they're not going to comply. They're not going to deal with this anymore. So we'll see if these dire warnings about the U.S. being at the beginning of this ramp up of cases that we are seeing in the U.K., we are seeing in uh, in Spain. We've already seen it in Italy to horrific effect. 
Um, we'll see if it ends up being the case that these predictions of massive spike in uh, these predictions of massive spikes in cases across the country end up happening. Because if they don't, people are going to start saying, I will not comply. And I won't be able to blame them at that point. Not that I blame anyone now, because who really knows what's going on? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, with regard to testing, as we expand testing, we're so pleased that Congress joined with our administration to make sure that cost is never going to be a barrier to anyone getting a coronavirus test. As you recall, several weeks ago, the president directed a change in our Medicare and Medicaid programs to ensure the coronavirus testing was included. Um, uh, health insurers were brought in. They all agreed to waive co-pays. But because of the good bipartisan work done in the House of Representatives, uh, now all coronavirus testing is free, and it's free for every American, including uninsured Americans. And we continue to urge passage of the legislation that will be considered by the Senate this week it's a good good idea government doing some things right it seems here yeah you should make this corona test free you know keep in mind the when we start the war analogy here is useful because you think about how much we spend on you know firing a few uh, cruise missiles at a, at a taliban encampment somewhere in afghanistan don't get me started on why we're still fighting that war uh, but think about how that money will just get spent and everyone will say yeah well that's necessary for u.s national security uh, if testing is very expensive, you know, if testing turns out to be a very expensive proposition, it's worth it. And I think we all have to accept that. I think we all have to understand that knowing who has this to the degree that we can is very useful to its con- is very useful to its containment. And team, I also want to hear a lot from you all across the country. You know, we're going to be doing uh, obviously roll call every day as we always do. I'm, I am trying to find a way and I might just do it myself. I might just get the gear so that I could start having you call in and, and leave a message for the show and we'll play them on air. We're, we're working on that too, because I want this to be an ongoing conversation between all of us. We're in this together, but we're also seeing different policies, different levels of outbreak all across the country. And this show, well, certainly digitally, you can always listen to the iHeart app. You can listen anywhere in the country, really anywhere in the world you have internet, but on terrestrial radio, we're in, I, I can think of maybe a handful of, of small states that we don't have a, a, an affiliate station in, but it's, I can't even name them off the top of my head. So we're all over the country. I want to hear from all of you what's going on, where you are, how are you feeling. You know, I'll, I'll tell you about my firsthand experiences here in New York where, I mean, I spend a lot of time still. Um, I live in, in midtown Manhattan, so I live right in the middle of this whole mess of the five boroughs of the biggest city in the country and it was quiet this weekend there were not a lot of people on the streets it felt like i was in a different city and the only place where you felt like there was a lot of activity were the grocery stores and then you see the buying habits of people under duress and i'm somebody who's been uh, an advocate for preparedness in the past i've had uh, preparedness sponsors that i'm very thankful for because yeah those were those were good moves. If people people took me up on the opportunity to get uh, to get prepared and stored up for an uncertain situation like this, um, but I, I want us all to share our, our first hand and, and what we're seeing and what we're feeling and talking about here because this is this is the big one, my friends. This is going to take some time to work through. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to take a look uh, at this picture. You actually touched the same podium. I'm sure you've seen this in microphone as the president and other CEOs, even at the same time. The vice president has taken a test for coronavirus. He tested neg- or The president has tested negative, I should say. Has Vice President Pence, have, have you taken a test? Are you going no. to take a test? No. Well, I, I'm not taking a test for the summer reason. I have no symptoms. I have not. I, I'm practicing pretty good social distancing. I don't it's, go to. But it's hard to. It's I, hard to I know, fully do it. As we but see not it everybody in the United States should take a test. I mean, I have no symptoms. There's no reason for me to take a test. If I'm in a situation where I'm at a higher risk, I will take a test. The picture you showed about the microphone. Let's get real here. I mean, there are certain things that you have to do. If I left the microphone at that, you would see nothing but the microphone. My putting my two fingers to get the microphone down isn't that bad. So I don't think we should make something of that. I'd like to see people more doing this as opposed to shaking hands. What the heck does a CNN anchor, somebody reads off a teleprompter basically, think she's doing uh, badgering the head of the CDC about whether or not he has been tested. Does she think, I'm just wondering, does she think she has better judgment about this? Really think this one through for a second, CNN. Because I would like to get to a place where we can just focus on this as people without any nonsense, without any games, without any partisan crap. But CNN's making that pretty hard along with some others. Clearly, doing what they can to make the response to this seem like it's unacceptable. The response somehow is inept and they want the panic to be even greater than it already is. I don't think we need CNN to be telling us that this is serious anymore. We get it. We get it. But they're not being serious because they can't help but score political points. There is this mentality and let's just be honest about it. There is this mentality that finally the psycho left is getting its way. They, they can't help it. It comes out in their coverage. They celebrate when the Dow plummets. They celebrate when the stock market's getting crushed, when businesses are being told to shut down, when airlines are just losing their butts right now. I mean, they, they're, they're like, yeah, see, Trump's so bad. It's a global pandemic, you morons. Is the leadership of the UK, of Spain, of Italy, of n- name a country. China, or they're all just inept and and buffoons. They're all dealing with this. There are now more countries than anybody can name off the top of their head that have cases of this. And we're just now seeing how bad it's going to get. But they already want to they already want to celebrate the failure of this country to be able to beat this thing quickly because they think it hurts Trump. It's disgusting. And that's also why the, the complaint two weeks ago as I remember it, might have even been until last week, was that Trump was silencing experts. Now you get experts going on CNN to, you know, like Dr. Fauci, the, the most well-known of all infectious disease experts in this country. And he's being told, you know, hey, why aren't you getting a test? Why aren't you doing what I think you should do here? You know, they were complaining about Trump last week. Now, aren't you being selfish? That was what was asked at a press conference, a moronic question. OK, so Trump got a test. He doesn't have it. There's also a difference here because these individuals who are coordinating the effort, they have to be in meetings. They, ha- they have to be out there rallying the troops. Then they don't have the luxury of just 
preventative self-quarantine without any real symptoms or any real reason to believe they've been directly exposed in a way. You know, there's different protocols for different people. But there there you had a, a not particularly bright CNN journalist uh, going at it with Dr. Fauci himself over, you know, why aren't you getting tested? Why, why don't you do these things that I want you to? Because he's trying to stop thousands of people from dying. Thanks, CNN. Good job. Uh, they're, they're absolutely insane. Uh, but I, I need to give you some examples of this now. This is real. It's out there. Uh, Jennifer Rubin, who has who's really a performance artist, who's built a career pretending to be a conservative to debase conservatism and for the amusement of the left and the amusement of media elites who think that it's just so fantastic that she's the, uh, calling herself a true conservative while doing nothing but undermining conservatives at every possible opportunity. Here is what Jennifer Rubin has to say about where her mind is right now on this whole thing. Play clip three. There's also a Washington Post piece that talks about the fact that older Americans are more worried about coronavirus unless they're Republican, Jennifer. That, That we now have a situation where Trump's own people are actually in greater danger, but those of us who live in this earth can't even reach them. They're not listening to anything that any of us say, including someone like you as a former Republican. You can't reach them. No, um, and there is a particular cruelty, irony, that it is their core viewers, the Republican older viewers, as Eric said, who are the most at risk. And when you think about it, which party immediately canceled all of their rallies? Which party immediately started Started, um, having their political figures um, really portray and uh, use their lives as an example. It was the Democrats. So they're going to be, I hate to put it in these terms, there are going to be less Democrat deaths because of there will be less mass gatherings. There will be less uh, opportunities for people to congregate and share this horrible disease. So it is a um, really a very short-sighted strategy. But I think now the name of the game is how do they get back on planet Earth? Disgusting and really stupid. And I don't think anyone needs me to explain that this is what is called a crowd disease. That is what you can refer to measles, mumps, flu, this crowd disease spreads because of population density. Who is really most at risk from this disease? If you're talking about general population cities, but I'm not even going to go there and do this breakdown of political affiliation she's saying there's going to be more republican deaths who who thinks about it that way who does that it's so idiotic it's so dumb and it also i think is showing us that in she's not the only one who feels this way i mean there are other people in the media that have platforms that are raised as expert jennifer rupert's an expert in nothing but there are other people that based on the way they cover this and the way they talk about this it's quite clear that they think there's a little bit of a like yeah Trump, this whole situation, he's such a buffoon. He kind of deserves to have to deal with this. And, you know, his supporters, they deserve. It's like we're all in this together, you morons. How can you think that this is about political party? Trump had nothing to do with this virus. Trump didn't cause it. It's not a response to Trumpism. This is yet another virus coming out of China because of Chinese practices of selling rare animals but more to the point actually it's usually that the way that chinese uh handle livestock in such enormous numbers and there's a lot of people that are close to large numbers of livestock and so it provides these zoonotic transmission nodes 
that allow diseases to jump from the animal uh, population, animal reservoir, I think they call it sometimes. Everyone's obviously, I'm, I'm reading so much about disease these days. I feel like I'm that guy, Dr. House, who just walks around like, well, maybe I'll fix you, but also I'm going to make fun of you first. You remember that, that show? It's actually a pretty good, it's a pretty good show. Massive Attack in the theme song. It's the name of the band. So, yeah, man. I mean, here we are. Here we are trying to figure out what to do about this. And you have these Democrat, these Democrat buffoons. I mean, Jennifer Rubin, former Republican. That's amazing that she would have believed in a political ideology for all of her life until, you know, I don't know, she's probably in her late 40s, early 50s. And now all of a sudden she figures out she was wrong. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Um, what has been done so far? If we're really going to take a. Uh, oh, wait, wait, before I get to that, here's an, here's another one that I just I could not help but say, you know, there are people that are specifically using this opportunity to try to dunk not just on the Trump administration, but on anybody who's ever supported Trump. Keep in mind, I sit here as someone who's a Trump supporter in the media. I've been right without exception on everything having to do with Russia, Trump collusion on everything that was going on with impeachment, what a sham, what a joke it was, and, you know, the whole, all, all these things. We've been on the right side of that, on the Trump economy, Trump tax cuts, Trump border policy, Trump foreign policy, all these different issues. We've been right on this, and the, the detractors, the haters, as Trump says, have been wrong. And the media is livid about this, because even though their supporters, their viewers at places like MSNBC and CNN don't really deal with, with any realistic accounting of the truth they just would rather believe what they believe there is still an anger at those of us who have been able to say well we're right you're wrong and so we're definitely not going to pretend like you were right this whole time about things like russia trump collusion here's an msnbc guest who just uses this as an opportunity to take a, take a cheap shot at fox news uh, and, and by the way not a cheap shot like they're wrong or i don't like you need to hear this cheap shot for yourself play 18 Look, Fox News has been getting people killed for years. I mean, just look at their crusade against affordable health care, their cru crusade against expanding Medicaid. Um, this is not unusual for them. It's far more dire. Uh, I mean, I've been watching and documenting Fox News for 15 years. I mean, they are a cancer on this country. There's no question about it. So who knows what they're going to do? Uh, you know, their, their programming is to vilify, uh, stir hatred and paranoia. And if they're going to, you know, if it's a pandemic is the backdrop, then they're going to do it. Hmm. Getting people killed. Fox News. That's what this guy says. Do you think MSNBC chides him for this at all? You think he gets called into the executive producer's office? Hey, maybe maybe you should slow slow your roll on that a little bit. No, of course not. He's giving the MSNBC anti-Trump deranged left exactly what they want. You can't you can't be anti-Trump enough for them. That, that's where we've been now for years. There's no such thing as too anti-Trump. Trump is responsible for anything and everything. He's the worst thing to ever happen to the universe. Oh, my God, he's so terrible. This is where they are. This is the reality of how they present their, their experts on so-called experts on TV. It's, uh, it's astonishing. Um, there are rumors, by the way, going around of a, a national curfew now as I'm on air. This is where we are, folks. We're, we're seeing this. There was also yesterday... Um, there were there were rumors going around about this uh, on I think there was even a text message scam. Uh, I don't even know how it was supposed to work, but about national quarantine and national mandatory uh, quarantine for everybody and that domestic airspace is going to be shut down. And look, there are some steps that are pretty extreme that are being considered that I've 
heard about them being considered. I've also just thought about it, and it's likely. Uh, there's a reason why I set up the Mobile Freedom Hut last week, because I knew that this was going to get much worse. Um, and, and when you, and we, by the way, there's, there's, it gets much worse because of the disease, and then there's also it gets much, much worse. These are, these are two separate but related concepts just because of our response to it, too. The response can make things much worse. Many more shutdowns, far greater movement restrictions. Uh, Producer Mark, what's the latest? Does New Jersey have? Do we have confirmation that did New Jersey now? Because states, remember, you got to they have you got to remember they have police power. So they'll do things that the federal government can't really constitutionally do uh, without declaring martial law. I mean, there's posse comitatus. There are these restrictions what the federal federal government can do. States under police powers can do a lot. Um, do we know about New Jersey? Yeah, New Jersey uh, has a non-essential travel ban between 8 a.m. 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. So, Bruce and Mark, you, you're able to move around until 8 o'clock because you're a New Jersey resident now, right? Yes. Uh, that's, that's, that's Don't smart. ask me to come to the Freedom Hut early in the morning, I guess. Yeah, I guess you can't get here super early. You know, Mark, Mark has quite the work ethic, but he's not going to be allowed to show up and spend four hours of prep. Doesn't work out with the timing of it. So there's going to be more of these of these changes for sure. More of these uh, look lockdown. That's where we are. But Mike Pence, who is the coordinator of this whole response at this point, he's out there telling everybody that we got to remember, you know, where we are now and where we would be if we hadn't taken some drastic measures early on. Uh, Play clip seven. Well, everything that the White House Coronavirus Task Force does is at the direction of the President of the United States. All the efforts of all federal agencies in cooperation with state governments and local health officials is reflective of uh, the um, the decisive leadership the President has brought this early on. Um, it's Im- important to remember that the president on January 31st suspended all travel from China. I said to Dr. Fauci today, as we look at Europe now being the epicenter of the coronavirus, um, that I asked him if we had not suspended all travel from China, what our circumstance would be. And he essentially said, we'd be where Europe is today. Right. We would be right now where Italy is right now where they have the entire north of the country completely locked down, no travel, where they've had, uh, you know, a, a few thousand dead, I believe now in total. Um, they've had thousands and thousands of cases and they're still in the upswing of cases and their health system is already at the breaking point. So we're not there right now because of a decision that President Trump made early on. And if we're going to play the blame game, and unfortunately we're going to have to because they're going to try to put all the... They're going to... They're already setting the stage that they will blame Trump for the damage to the economy. They will blame Trump for every death in this country. They're going to act like he was incompetent and didn't do anything no matter what the final death toll from this disease is and no matter what the final state of the economy is. I mean, you know, unless we have some miracle rally before the election and Everything is looking great all of a sudden, which, look, I, I'm not saying that's completely impossible. I mean, here's here's with the president pointing out that there is there's a lot of buying. going. I want to talk more about this. There's a lot of buying going on. Play clip 22. They're buying a lot of additional things to sell. But again, they, they actually have asked me to say, could you buy a little bit less, please? I think I thought I'd never hear that from a retailer. 
All of them are working hand in hand with the federal government as well as the state and local leaders to ensure food and essentials are constantly available. And they'll do it. There's no shortages. We have no shortages other than people are buying anywhere from three to five times what they would normally buy. It's going to be there for a long time. We're doing numbers and there's a pent up demand that's incredible. All right, I got to talk more about this with the, the panic buying that's going on and what I, what I saw myself because I did some I did some grocery shopping over the weekend here in New York. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I got I got to ask our, our dear friend, producer Mark here. Producer Mark, you moved on Saturday and we were all thinking about how that was going to go. At least I was. I think some in the audience who remembered you were moving in yep. the midst of all this. How did it how did it shake out? Well, uh, the move itself went fine. You know, the movers came, uh, got rid of Good my old them, couch and all this stuff. Yeah, they didn't cancel on me. I'm, I'm glad. It was just when I had to go to, like, say, Target to buy stuff, the lines are crazy. There was no food, so I went Saturday night. I could barely get any food for the house. Sunday, I went during the day, and they had finally restocked, like, mac and cheese, pasta, stuff like that that, you know, was non-perishable that I could finally get in the house. So at least I have something to eat this week. Uh, it's just in the future. I don't know how I'm going to get more food in the house. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm amazed to see how much the the panic buying is really around a few items because i was in whole foods which is a complete i mean i you want to try to stay out of these grocery stores as much as you can it was a it was a zoo i mean there are people everywhere running around i mean it was really packed so it's not a good place to be during a pandemic but i mean people got to get food and if you want to try to wait for food delivery service you might wait for who knows how many days but the things that you're seeing that are getting panic bought, obviously paper, uh, toilet paper, paper towel, detergent, basic household need stuff. People are hoarding it. And really, everyone has to be realistic about this. If, if you buy enough for 30 days, if in 30 days, all of a sudden the shelves are bare everywhere. We got we got big problems, my friends. OK, you, you, you got to sort of bet on America being able to. We're not a financial crisis. We're in a disease crisis that's causing financial problems. And we need to remember that as we're trying to make these decisions about what to buy and how much to get and and trying to be responsible to those around us, too, to our community. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So when I was shopping myself, and I did a bit of shopping for my my parents, and one reason why I've had to go outside is we got to walk the dog. We got the family dog here, so I got to take little Tallulah out. And she's just like, what's all the hubbub, man? She doesn't. Because it turns out dogs can't get coronavirus. That's a good thing. Because there were concerns for a little while. There was a dog, I think, in Hong Kong they thought tested positive, but dogs can't get coronavirus. So she's good to go. Um, But I'm walking around on streets here in New York and trying to, you you see people in the street and you cross the street now because you're just trying to create that social distancing even when you're just walking past someone. And you try not to touch anything. Every time you push the elevator button or you open the, the door and you put your hand on it. And one thing that, I, you know, you're taking a risk with all that. And one thing that I do believe is going to come out of this is we're going to the handshake may never really be back. Depends on how long this whole thing goes on, but the handshake may never really go back. Uh, and also uh, doors that are essentially motion sensor opened or. Uh, any number of, you know, these, these, uh, what do you call it, Mark? We, you know, we have them at the studio there, where it's just like touchless entry or touchless exit. Yeah. Wave- touch-free entry or touch-free yeah, entry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Touch. I, th- I think you're going to see that now. Every place that can afford to put that in, at least big commercial ventures and everything, they're just going to say, we shouldn't have people. You know, I-, I was annoyed over the weekend because I kept having to go to the store and they say, OK, put your chip in. Look, it's my credit card. I'll use it. And I get that, that you know, hopefully my hands are clean as I'm touching it. I'm going to go home and wash my hands. But then they want you to push that, you know, is this OK button? And look, I'm all about raising money for charity, whatever it may be, but they do this. Okay. Now do you want to donate to charity? Oh, I got to press the button again. Okay. Now is this okay? Oh, okay. The final price. Yeah. I got to press this again. So I'm pressing the button three times and then I have to reach down and use the pen. And people tell me, Oh, use the chip on the credit card. I was using the chip. I only have chip credit cards. So then I reach down, I grab the pen and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, this is a virus stick. How many, how many hundreds of people have all touched this thing today? I mean, this is a terrible idea. Why are, why are we being forced to do this? We should, every store you go into, every grocery store, you take your credit card, you swipe, you're done. That's it. No more pushing the stupid green button. No more pushing the little pen or, you know, using that. You're scrolling in a legible signature anyway. Does anyone actually try to, you can't make a signature on those things. I end up just making a big circle or making like an X or something. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Circle gets a square. So... The other thing you see with the panic buying is uh, certain things go and others don't. And it's quite a test of human psychology here. Pasta is like gold these days. So I suppose there are at least some people who feel like if the end times come, they'll at least have a few weeks of orecchiette, spaghettini, uh, you know, ricotta cheese, ravioli, you know, you name it. I'm a producer, Mark. What is what is your Italian food for the end of the world? What what, what if you can only have one pasta in stock? What's it going to be? Uh, I'm going to go ravioli. Ravioli. Yeah. That's a strong. That's a strong choice. Yeah. See, I'm a simple man, so I would just go mac and cheese, man. If uh, I that, if I have, I don't really think of that cheese. as Italian. That's more of an American food. You hey, hey, it's a macaroni noodle. Hey, producer Mark, come on. It's a macaroni. By yeah, the way, I, the only mac and cheese mix that was left on Saturday night, all the vegan stuff. Yeah, vegan stuff. Even they can't even sell it when it's a world crisis. Yeah, I mean, you got to think that a lot of a lot of the the stores they have vegan stuff just because I feel like if they don't, vegans will complain and get mad at them. But clearly, there's the mar- the market for this stuff is not is not as big as it is for all these other things. Um, yeah, I mean, so the pasta's all gone. Meat, which I'm happy to see, people want to make sure they've got red meat in the freezer. So it's rare. It's tough to get meat. I got the last. This is actually kind of funny. I got the last uh, roaster chicken at Whole Foods, full whole chicken. Um, and I got that last chicken. And then I also got the last packet of fresh tarragon. And there was a guy, a gentleman who was working at Whole Foods, who definitely looked a little bit like he had just come from a fish show. And I was like, dude, do you got, do you have, I said, excuse me, sir. I did not say dude. I said, excuse me, sir. Do you have any uh, great poupon? Just kidding. Do you have any tarragon? And he said, yo, man, like, I think there might be some that, like, someone stashed behind the mushrooms. And I was kind of like, what's going on here? Does this guy think I'm, is tarragon like a code word for, you know, something else? Like, am I trying to get a little bit of the ganj or something? Do you know, a little bit of the, of the, of the Mary Jane? Like, what, what is he talking about? Turns out this guy was totally, totally all spot on. And for no apparent reason, there was a package of fresh tarragon hidden behind like a hole in the mushroom section. And he just remembered. I was like, sir, you are a genius. <laughs> How did you know? He's like, yeah, man, you know, I just got stuff and got it done. 
So I was able to make my roast tarragon. Again, I told you I'm making these dishes that I would never normally make because I'm stuck indoors here in New York City and getting a little stir crazy. I started to think also like, oh, maybe I'll watch, you know, 28 days later and I'll watch The Strain. And no, probably a bad idea. I'm going to start watching more Disney shows and things like that that make me happy. I'll, I'll get to that later on. What you should do and what we should all try to accomplish during this time of of lockdown, because it's going to be uh, it's going to be a while, my friends. It's not going away anytime soon. So. I, I people buy pasta, they buy red meat, butter. I'm noticing butter shortages, too. You know, you have these staples that all go. And I just would I would hope that that folks don't think that they need to stock up for the next six months. Because it's not possible. They won't be able to keep. So if you've got six months of toilet paper in your closet that you just bought now, if you've been stacking up for years, I feel like that's, you know, good for you on preparing. But if you're trying to buy six months of toilet paper right now, that means other people aren't going to be able to get next week's toilet paper. And that's the reality uh, of, the, of the system that we have. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see if if the panic buying and the shortages continue on. I'm, I'm really hopeful that there'll be a lessening of this pretty quickly. But we are in uncharted territory. And this is the way it's going to be for at least some time. So we might as well, I suppose, dig in as best we can. Um, but the supermarket is not like anything else I've ever seen before right now. Uh, there's a real anxiety in the air. People are really concerned. And I just want everyone to be as calm as possible under the circumstances. So that's where we're at. Uh, there was a debate last night. I watched some of it. My first big takeaway was, oh, gosh, there are so many Statler and Waldorf jo jokes I want to make here. <laughs> um, so many Statler and Waldorf jokes. But I then went online. I saw the other people had already beaten me to them. And I realized, oh, I don't want to be that guy that's making the obvious Statler and Waldorf, uh, Waldorf jokes. So I had to skip past that. It was a reminder that audiences and debates are not a good idea. Audiences are extraneous. I don't think we should have audiences. Not worth it. You end up just having the candidates play to the audience, I think, more than they even realize. And also all the interruptions and all the nonsense from people cheering and booing and all this. It's just not a good idea. So I do not recommend uh, I do not recommend we ever go back to having audiences at the debates. And really, the the basic contention here of liberals today, especially the ones who hate Trump, we played some of those sound bites for you. The basic contention they have is if we had Biden or Bernie in charge, we'd be in much better shape now. It's just not true. Why would we think that's true? What evidence of any kind is there to support that notion? Uh, I would just I, I would want someone to tell me what exactly they can show me that makes me think that Joe Biden, who I think is a really just and I don't I don't say it to be mean. I mean, yes, he seems like he's lost a step. He does seem too old for this. Bernie Sanders is definitely too old for this. So you got two guys who are clearly too old for the position, who are unimpressive, who have shown no real leadership skills or vision or ability to execute. And their entire careers have really just been about getting reelected. These are lifetime. These are lifetime career uh, elected officials, which is not what we really even want in this country. Of course, now some of you are yelling term limits, and I totally agree with you. 
but you're never going to get term limits because the people that have to put term limits in place, the people that would have to abide by them and they don't want to. So Biden and Bernie, they've been in this game for a very, very long time and they don't look like they want to change anything about that. Right. They're they're happy to continue to fight it out. And, you know, Bernie Sanders will continue to be a senator. I've also really come around to the point of view that Bernie never really wanted to win because he's not willing to do what's necessary. He wants to be the radical who's loved by his side, but is also still well-regarded by the Democrat establishment. He's not willing to take on the establishment. He just plays the role. Bernie Sanders is really like some of the conservatives who go on CNN for the last couple of years. I remember I used to be one, but that was before CNN was completely insane. I mean, Dana Lash, my, my dear friend, Dana is a fierce conservative. She was a CNN contributor years and years ago. I was a CNN contributor years ago. I mean, you look at a number of people who are part of the movement and who have been, you know, doing this for a long time and are, are stalwarts. We used to be able to do CNN and it was never friendly, but now they're complete. They're completely insane. Bernie is kind of like the conservatives who are on the payroll at CNN, not including never Trumpers. Uh, but Bernie's like a conservative on the payroll at CNN right now who, you know, makes a little noise about, no, Trump's doing a good job, but then is essentially told, hey, shut up and just take take the beating. You're here to take a beating. You're not you're not here to make your case. That's where we are with Bernie and the Democratic apparatus, the Democratic Party. He's not he's not there to he's not allowed to win. He knows it and he's not willing to do what's necessary to fight back to get through the system. So that's that's where I think it is right now. Um but now we can get into some of the specifics of what they said, because I, I want. OK, I'm going to be honest with you. The debate sucked. It was boring. It was not worth anyone's time. I watched like the first 30, 40 minutes of it. And then this morning I woke up. I'm going to tell you the truth. I woke up and read the transcript. I, I couldn't sit through the whole, you know, oof, I couldn't sit through it. I kind of want to do my own version of a Bernie Biden debate and just sort of make it up as I go along. That'd be a fun sketch uh, to do. But I'll, I'll give you some of the main points here. And, and my biggest thing, though, from the very beginning, because they focused on coronavirus from the outset, was why would we really think that Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, who have never successfully run anything, don't understand delegation? Don't, I mean, Joe Biden keeps talking about his VP experience. Anybody could be a VP. Come on. Let's be honest. It's like a show up job. You just got to show up. That's it. They say he was in charge of this, that, and the other thing. That's all nonsense. I mean, he was in charge of Ukraine policy, which was helpful for Hunter Biden. But does anyone think that we look at, our, at the Obama administration's Ukraine policy as some kind of uh, great victory to be celebrated? I don't think so. Uh, but Biden, Bernie, I, I, I honestly, as a, as a human being first, before a commentator or somebody who cares about politics and all those other things, I would not feel one bit better if we could switch Trump with Bernie or Biden with Bernie. I would honestly and truly, I really mean this, I would feel markedly worse about our prospect right now if we could just switch out who the president was with either of these two top Democrats. I, I honestly would feel worse about it. I mean, that's from, from the bottom of my heart, that's how I feel. And the debate did not make that go away at all. It only, it only strengthened that feeling. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
To be clear, Senator Sanders, Cuba has been a dictatorship for decades. Shouldn't we judge dictators by the violation of human rights and not by any of their alleged achievements? Well, I think you can make the same point about China. China is undoubtedly an authoritarian society, okay? But would anybody deny, any economists deny, that extreme poverty in China today is much less than what it was 40 or 50 years ago? That's a fact. So I think we condemn authoritarianism, whether it's in China, Russia, Cuba, any place else. But to simply say that nothing ever done by any of those administrations had a positive impact on their people would, I think, be incorrect. Bernie still doesn't get it. Keeps doubling down. It's because this is who he really this is who he really is. He's not going to change because this is what Bernie's all about. He's a Marxist. He believes he has to believe this is why it's so important. This is not a secondary point. This isn't something that just conservative commentators will bring up to bash Bernie, although that's fun, too. Uh, This is Bernie Sanders showing you that he has always thought that the communist regimes, the Marxists and socialist regimes of history have done some things well. And that then gives the justification in his mind for us to try to use the basic foundation, the basic economic and social and political framework of those countries in our own way. Because we'll just take the good stuff without the bad stuff. Which is another way of saying Bernie Sanders does not understand. He fundamentally does not understand or doesn't care to understand. Meaning he just pretends that he can't, under, he can't learn these things. Why these societies had the problems that they did. That societies that do not privilege individual rights, freedom of the individual, property and rule of law over amorphous conceptions of equality and social justice as determined by a left-wing elite, there are reasons why that always fails. And the little things that may be done here or there that aren't horrifically bad, and also to point to Cuba's health system as some kind of a, a, a good idea is absurd. No, nobody would rather be in a Cuban health... Nobody would rather, who has a brain that functions would rather be in a Cuban hospital than an American hospital or or a British hospital, a Canadian hospital. So why, why even bring it up? It's so strange. And then when he, when he remarks about China and how China is, yeah, China has improved its economy by doing capitalism. China is authoritarian capitalism. That's why it's made all of it. So, so Bernie doesn't seem to understand that raising, if you want to raise people out of poverty, the lesson you take from China is let the market work its magic more. The lesson that Bernie Sanders takes from China is, oh, they're communist and they've been able to do well. So communism must be OK economically. And they're not even really I mean, they're not it's not a communist system anymore. It hasn't been for a long time, but he takes the wrong lessons. And this is why he's been able to be so wrong for 50 years now. He does not understand why the Marxism that he peddles and has always peddled is a failure. It will always be a failure. It will never work. And this is where you get like the slogans, but it's true. You know, socialism fails everywhere that it has been tried. There are reasons for that. It is not an accident. It's not just happenstance. Next time we'll do it better. Next time we'll figure out how to make sure the shelves are not bare during a a crisis. If you want bare shelves, the best system you can have is socialism. Because they'll tell you that you have a right to those loaves of bread. There just won't be any loaves of bread in the store. And if you complain, you're a counter-revolutionary. 
Maybe you care too much about yourself. Maybe you should be locked up. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And bottom line here is in terms of Medicare for all, despite what the vice president is saying, what the experts tell us is that one of the reasons that we are unprepared and have been unprepared is we don't have a system. We got thousands of private insurance plans. That is not a system that is prepared to provide health care to all people. Uh, okay. Bernie Sanders thinks that the problem that we face in this country right now with Wuhan virus is we don't have Medicare for all. Huh? So I need someone to explain to me what Bernie Sanders' answer is for why is Italy having a terrible outbreak of this that they cannot handle? They, they, they guarantee health care for their citizens. You know what guaranteed health care means when you don't have the resources? It means nothing. There's, there's nothing that you take from that. There's nothing that you can do. Italy, uh, we would think, would be a place that could handle a situation like this, but no, they can't. They don't have the doctors. They don't have the resources. They don't have what they need. And so your guarantee of health care is just a guarantee of being frustrated. We're going to see how the U.K. handles this. We're going to see how Spain handles this. France, Germany, countries that have these health care systems that we're told are so much better than our own. Really. Europe is now the central fight in for this disease globally speaking and you're going to have all these countries where we're told that healthcare is guaranteed for people but in italy you know what has been happening doctors have been in a situation where they just don't have enough ventilators so what do they do two people come in both can't breathe they have to make an on-the-spot judgment okay we're going to hook you up you you have to wait waiting might mean dying rationing huh Almost like an on-the-spot death panel. That's what's going on over there in countries like Italy where they guarantee health care for everyone. How do you fix these problems? Well, you would need more doctors, more ventilators, more resources. How do you get that? The market. The government does not create these things. The government can only take these things that already exist. At least in the system that we have, the system that Europe has. The government is not in a position to just make these things appear. So Bernie takes all once he take, he's just wrong about everything. It's amazing that there are people who think that they're so clever and intelligent who believe that Bernie Sanders has the answers. He has answers to nothing, nothing can't do anything to help. But he has a, a sheet. I mean, he sticks to the talking points. It's all Medicare for all. Make it all better for us. No, it really won't. Even Biden knows that that's not. Um, something that will will make things better. But, you know, Biden understands also you knock 180 million Americans off their health insurance plans. Bernie Sanders uses all these statistics, these dishonest statistics. He'll say that there are 50 million uninsured or underinsured people in this country. What, what does underinsured mean? It means you don't have, like, great health insurance, but you've got health insurance? Who falls into that category? So... That it was a, a debate where we didn't learn anything new about these candidates. There were a few interesting moments. Uh, Sanders, for example, said this about ICE raids. Play clip nine. One of the things that, that goes on when you have that process 
is that not only the psychological terror, and I've talked to these kids, kids are scared to death in America when they come home from school that their mom or dad may not be there, may be uh, deported. Uh, what we need to do uh, is to end, and I will end this on day one, uh, the ICE raids uh, that have been so harmful to so many uh, people. And we need to do, again, what the American people want us to do. I'm the son of an immigrant. This is a country significantly built by immigrant labor, built by slave labor. And what we have got to do is appreciate each other and end this demonization and divisiveness. So no more ICE rates, no more enforcement of immigration law. By the way, calling them raids, isn't that so interesting? We always say this. They're arrests. ICE makes arrests. Unlike when they arrest, say, uh, unlike when federal law enforcement arrests um, Roger Stone and sends in a few dozen heavily armed agents to get a guy who's like in his silk pajamas and smoking jacket hanging out at four o'clock in the morning. You know, ICE isn't sending in SWAT teams to rip people out of their beds and, you know, throw them on the ground and act like they're all. No, but they send in people to do conduct arrests that are here in violation of federal law. You know, I mean, if you're not going to do ICE raids, just say that just say that the, the immigration doesn't matter anymore and say that Bernie Sanders at a time when control of our borders quite clearly could mean thousands and thousands of American lives are either saved or not. Control of the borders right now is very important, isn't it? The open borders, one world government crowd that has been so dominant on the left in recent years. Do they have any answers for this? How can governments respond effectively to an outbreak like what we're seeing with Wuhan virus when they can't even control who comes and goes from the country? How can governments be expected to do that? How could they know? Well, we don't get any answers about this, do we? We just are told that if you're a nice person, you don't believe in deportations. I just don't think that I'd be able to show up in Japan, Australia, you know, lovely countries that I would maybe consider if I, if America kicked me out for some reason, I guess I got to go somewhere. I don't think I could just show up and say, yeah, I'm going to stay. And you guys can't get rid of me because that's mean. That wouldn't fly. That wouldn't work. But Bernie Sanders is trying to pander to the left wing immigration activists in the Democratic Party right now. So he's saying no more uh, deportations. And Biden, I should note, uh, followed suit. Biden also is opposed to deportations. He's also playing to the left wing activists in the Democratic Party right now who are willing to say whatever they have to say, uh, or rather they're willing to say to them whatever they think they have to say to get their support. Joe Biden also said this in, in, in the shockingly stupid but not surprising file. End all oil development on federal land, Joe Biden said in this debate. Play 12. Number one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Hmm. That's a terrible idea. Thousands and thousands of people would lose their jobs. One of the reasons why we've had such a strong economy, why it has been growing so rapidly in recent years, is because America has become effectively energy independent. And Democrats, now that we have run the experiment of doing fracking for years and becoming an energy superpower and having all the benefits of that for the economy, for business, for growth, for prosperity, 
We've seen the results. They're crazy. They're wrong. Fracking isn't poisoning our water. We're not all dying because they used to say that. There was a documentary that won, was it a Gasland that won, uh, you know, the Oscar, which means nothing for documentaries. Documentaries are almost always crap. The ones that the uh, Hollywood elites like, they're just long form editorials full of lib nonsense. The best example of which would be an inconvenient truth. Yeah. Mm. Florida's underwater, isn't it? It's all gone. Just like they showed in the movie. Idiots. Total morons running these things, but it is what it is. Uh, They thought that fracking was going to poison us. Fracking was so bad for us. And actually, fracking has been a godsend for the economy, and it has helped us become energy independent in a way that nobody really ever thought we'd be able to be. So that really matters. That really helps. Um, Oh, wait, I I did have Biden hit back at Bernie on praising the dictators. This would be kind of fun to watch them fight for a second. Play 11. The idea of occasionally saying something nice about a country is one thing. The idea of praising a country that is violating human rights around the world is, in fact, makes our allies wonder what's going on. What do you think the South Koreans think when we praise, he praises China like that? What do, you think, what do you think the Australians believe in the shadow of China? What do you think is happening in, in Indonesia in the shadow of China? What do you think is happening in terms of Japan in the shadow of China? The words matter. These are flat-out dictators, period. And they should be called for it, straight up. We may have to work out, for example, I was able to help negotiate uh, a new start agreement with Russia, not because I like Putin. Mm-hmm. The guy's a thug. Well, at least Biden's smart enough to know, got to give him credit where you can, that praising dictators is not a popular move with the American people. It is kind of popular with the left, though, because they are adopting Chinese propaganda in the media, our media, is taking the Chinese uh, government's word for it when it comes to a whole bunch of things like don't call it Wuhan virus. I still had people coming at me over the weekend on that one. Really? Well, what should what should we call it? Well, what's the what's the actual designation for Spanish flu? Fancy media people. Do you know? No, I have no idea. Of course. What's the actual medical designation for Ebola virus? Hey, here's a better question to all the smug lib journos out there. Why do we call them H something and something? I bet they have absolutely no idea. It has to do with the surface proteins on the virus. They, they don't know that because they don't care because they don't research. They don't know anything. It's all about how does my hair look? Do I sound? Do I sound credible? Do I look credible? Am I getting a really big paycheck to do a job that a million other people could do just as well? Great. Call me a TV news anchor. It's rid- the whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. So Biden knows you got to. Sorry if you hear me scratching my beard. What can I, I know every time I do that, you must know. Buck, don't touch your face. Um, okay. So Sanders has been saying that we have too many private insurance companies. That's the problem. Biden, uh, well, Biden runs around saying all kinds of, of, of annoying things. But one thing that really stuck out to me is how he is really trying to win the, uh, the feminist vote here by, by doing the following play, uh, play clip 10. If I'm elected president, my my cabinet, my administration will look like the country. And I commit that I will, in fact, appoint a I'll pick a woman to be vice president. There are a number of women who are qualified to be president tomorrow. I would pick a woman to be my vice president. So he says he's going to pick a woman. Now, there will be a lot of people in the media that will put ideas out there, put names out there like, oh, I don't know, Stacey Abrams. Elizabeth Warren, 
oh gosh, you know, she hasn't endorsed Bernie or, or Biden, but but gosh darn it, she wants to help the people. Uh, she's out there. She's a possibility. You know where I'm going, though. You know who else is a possibility. Hello? She's still there. On the sidelines, does anyone think that if Hillary Clinton was asked to be vice president, she would say no? We all know she wants back in the game. She gets to say that she worked during the Obama administration as secretary of state. She gets to say that she has a connection to that administration, too, that her and Joe probably worked so closely together. They're like a dream team right now. Everything will work out just fantastically. So worth asking the question at that point. Um, why wouldn't he pick Hillary Clinton? Why wouldn't he go and have somebody that would bring all of the uh, muscle and all the, the fundraising and you know, just the, the institutional background to this? That's the real question you have to ask. And I think I think Hillary very well could be the VP. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The reason why I affirmatively came out opposed to the Hyde Amendment was that if we're going to have public funding for all health care along the line, there is no way you could allow for there to be a requirement that you have Hyde Amendment. A woman who doesn't have the money could not have coverage under health care. Well, I'm glad. Number two. And I, I've done that. I did that a while ago. OK, let's understand that anyone who tells you that Joe Biden is a moderate doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. Anyone who claims that Joe Biden isn't a now what would be a left wing Democrat by traditional Democrat standards isn't being honest with the facts. Here he's talking about the Hyde Amendment. He's talking about the uh, taxpayer funding of abortion. And this is meant uh, this this used to be a, a third rail in politics or there, there was some agreed on, uh, you know, compromise here and that people wouldn't touch this. They wouldn't mess with this. The Hyde Amendment was that you couldn't have public funds go directly toward abortion because obviously public funds means taxpayers, means that you are paying for abortions. Your tax dollars are effectively going directly for the payment of abortions. Now, the government does give grants to Planned Parenthood. So in a sense, this has already been, from a, from a moral perspective, the government's already been doing this for a very long time, um, meaning that there were, you know, funds are fungible and you can move funds from one part of Planned Parenthood to another. So if you're giving an organization that does abortions, if you're giving them money, you're effectively subsidizing abortion. But this means directly. The Hyde Amendment is you can't have money that goes directly toward abortion from the federal government. And that no longer is the case. Uh, for these Democrats, they, they want to get rid of the Hyde Amendment. Biden is saying that specifically here that he views this as outdated and he's taking on this talking point from the left that health care, um, that, you know, research, uh, rather that, that health care uh, is abortion and abortion is health care. These, these are the same things. There's no problem with this. There's no, uh, no difference here. So that's a pretty extreme place for anybody in the Democratic Party to be, historically speaking, and that Joe Biden is willing to take that position now. Uh, just goes to show you that, you know, the, the, the left has taken over that party. Even if the socialist doesn't win, 
the anti-God, anti-American socialist left is already very ascendant and very powerful in the Democratic Party. And you could argue increasingly it runs the Democratic Party. And that's that's where we really are now. And I, I just think we need to remember that about about Biden and Bernie. I also just am going to note that there will be a lot of desperation from people trying to make the case in the months ahead because they hate Trump so much. There'll be a lot of desperation for people who will claim that uh, Biden and Bernie are these really impressive, really exceptional politicians. And it's just absurd. It's just absurd. We can all see it. They're too old for this job. And in fact, they're both in the in the high risk category. They're both in high risk categories for uh, people to be out and about and doing anything right now in the public eye because of Wuhan virus. And yet, you know, maybe there's maybe there's a case to be made that we shouldn't think that our entire top echelon of political leadership should be comprised of people in their at least from the Democrat side of it, and really their late 70s. I, mean, I don't know how old Chuck Schumer is off. I'm sure he's probably either late 60s, early 70s. But you look at you look at Pelosi and you look at uh, at Bernie and uh, Biden and all, all these different Democrats. I mean, they're really up there. I mean, their age should be a thing that we can talk about without getting shouted down for being rude or being mean. They're not. Look, there's a lot of things you can do when you're 80. And the 80-year-olds listen to this show. I'm sure you're in great health and you got about another 40 years in you. But I don't think that it's fair to the United States for someone who is clearly, visibly, audibly degenerating as Biden is as, and really as Bernie is too. Uh, I don't think it's fair in that situation to make that person the commander-in-chief um, and expect that we're all going to accept that they're up for this job psychologically, physically, emotionally, um, in terms of their health, in terms of their stamina, their energy, all of these things. There are real concerns. There are real questions to be asked here. Biden and Bernie, yeah, I know I made the Statler and Waldorf comment initially, but these guys just aren't up for this. And you're going to get shouted down by people who thought that Trump was deserved to be impeached over a phone call that nobody even remembers now. Those same people are going to tell you Biden and Bernie are just amazing. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Roll call, everybody. Going to need to hear from all of you on this, okay? I want, I, want, I want new people writing in on roll call. You're my only social contact right now. That's right, team. It's you guys. That's it. And gals. Uh, I'm, I'm staying in this apartment. I'm planning to not leave if I can all week. I might go out to walk the family dog. Other than that, and I'll have to probably put a little face mask on the dog and be like, what's wrong with you? All right. Let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Kelly writes in Buck the other day, our governor, Jay Inslee, called for a cancellation of all gatherings of 200 people or more. Schools are canceling possibly for the remainder of the year, although he only has that authority over government gatherings at this time. Our church has decided to go to online services only. And then we woke up this morning to snow. We don't treat snow in Washington State. They do in the Midwest. Everything stops when we get snow. 
because we don't have the equipment and services to handle it the way they do in other parts of the country. Our exposure to each other will be minimal for the foreseeable future. Shields high. Kelly, look, I think that's a good I think that's a good thing. I think that we should take this as seriously as we can right now without, you know, going completely overboard. And I, I just I'm a believer in let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation in a month where some of you are telling me, Buck, I told you it wasn't going to be that bad. But we can all say, well, whew, at least it wasn't that bad. And, you know, we did what we had to do to make sure it wasn't that bad. That, that should be the attitude now, I think. Uh, that's where that's where I think we should all be. And we're you know, there's there's always time later on to say, OK, next time around when the authorities say no gatherings of over 200 people, I'm going to be much more skeptical about it than I am right now. Uh, Anthony, writing you from the last region of sanity in California, Tular County or Tulare County. I've never even heard of this before. Devin Nunes's district. I'm one of the very few people in the media that pronounces his name correctly. I'm very proud of that. I've seen you on Fox for years, but started listening to your podcast religiously about a year ago. You quickly become my favorite, and your intelligence and humor gets me through long days on the road. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. Only one of my lib friends can have rational discussions, so I usually, get, I usually listen to your analysis before he and I spar over the various issues of the day. I agree with you on nearly everything, and your way of articulating helps me rationalize my own thoughts. The Daily Dose of Buck has made me a better conservative which leads me to being a better husband, father, employee, and friend. I thank you for that. Producer Mark is also great. Your combination is unmatched in the conservative podcast world, and I've listened to a lot. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. I really do appreciate that. And uh, that's, I mean, uh, that's such high praise that you think that listening to this show helps you in other aspects of your life as a, as a dad, as an employee, as a friend. I, I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't ask for anything more than that for anyone who's listening to this. If I can achieve that with even just a, a handful of the very large group of folks that is Team Buck. Um, you know, you couldn't you couldn't fit us in a in a couple of sports arenas. Um, but uh, if that's the case, then you know I'm really doing my job well, and that means a lot. So thank you very much, Anthony. Honestly. Oh, there's a PS. You definitely need to start a history show or at least a segment on your podcast. Your first episode should be on the Depression of 1920 under Woodrow Wilson then leading to the election of Warren Harding. To my understanding, the initial six months were worse than the Great Depression, but quickly turned around due to Warren's economic policies. Then Coolidge was elected in 1923, and the only president in modern history to cut taxes, spending, and actually shrink the federal government. This led to the Roaring Twenties. My wife's grandmother claims they are relatives of his VP, Charles Dawes. Would love to hear you elaborate on this time period and event. Uh, well, that, first of all, thank you for the little bit of history there for everybody listening, and... Uh, I would love to bring back some more history. That's something that I can certainly do on this show more. You know, in the past, sometimes radio stations have program directors or the people that are in charge of what goes on the air. And every station usually has, you know, most stations, I should say, have program directors. And that's tough because I always want our affiliates to be as happy as can be, you know, with, with the audience really engaged and wanting to listen and and numbers doing well, numbers of, of ears for the show growing some of them love when I do really just straight history on the show. Not the anecdotes, obviously, are always welcome when I do a little asides about history. But I've done straight up history segments before. Some of you are probably thinking about the Dracula, the real Dracula, which I think is fascinating. We did that for Halloween, uh, the Battle of Lepanto, the Siege of Malta. There have been a few of them, as well as the Shields High 
podcast, which I, I, you know, with the quarantine situation, maybe now is when I get back to Shields High. I just thought about that now, but I might have the time to do it finally. So uh, some some of the stations love it and some of them don't. And so it's a tough balancing act for me. That's why we started doing Shields High on the podcast, because, you know, that's just the podcast. That's what you're getting. Whereas this show is a podcast and a radio show. And so I got to make sure that our affiliates and all of our wonderful stations across the country, because they mean so much to the to this show in terms of the audience and the connection that we have as a result of those stations carrying us. I want them to be happy. And some of some of the some of the people in charge of the stations love the history, some of them not so much. So that's where we are on that. Um, But yes, I think basically the answer is I got to come back with Shields High and we'll do more of them. And the next episode of Shields High, I've already told you, is going to be the Siege of Malta, which I love, which is a I mean, my dream would be to make a miniseries of that one day, you know, and and make that like Ridley Scott style, real deep dive, epic, historical drama, you know, do it like Michael Mann and Last of the Mohicans or Ridley Scott with um, I think he did Kingdom of Heaven. Obviously, Gladiator, I think, is a Ridley Scott movie. Gladiator is even better than Kingdom. Kingdom of Heaven was a little uneven for me. uh, Gladiator is an amazing movie. So I want to do something like that with the Siege of Malta. If if I could just like snap my fingers and have a project, it would probably be either the Siege of Malta or the Battle of Lepanto and do a a mini series on that, like a TV for Netflix or for Amazon. It's incredible. I mean, the the sequences you could do. Oh, uh, but I digress. I did try to watch uh, a, a Korean language show over the weekend called Kingdom. And it's a little bit like there's a little bit of a Game of Thrones vibe because it's all about palace intrigue and fighting over who gets to be the, the, the king uh, or the emperor, as the case may be. But there's a little bit of a zombie storyline too. not a lot of sword fighting for a show where pretty much everybody's carrying a katana sword. I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, if you're all walking around with katana swords, I'd kind of like to see you, you know, use those bad boys. You know what I mean? I'd, li- I'd like to see a little bit of action with it. Not a lot of not a lot of sword fighting for a show where you think reminds me of that movie. Ah, what was the movie um, like? F- I can't remember. It was like 59 Assassins or 43 Assassins or something, which was an old school samurai flick. That's excellent for what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Hold on. I got to I got to find it. Producer Mark, have you seen this one? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, no, I don't have a clue movie, what you're talking about. You know, it, it's a samurai movie. It's actually, wait, what, what is it? I can't remember the number. 13 assassins. <laughs> 49. <laughs> Sorry. I, I've promised you guys way more assassins. <laughs> 13 assassins. If you've never seen it and you want to watch a, because there's, there's 47 Ronin. That's why I got confused. Okay. Don't all laugh at me right now. I didn't just pull a, Bloomberg could give everybody a million dollars. <laughs> with what he spent on the campaign. He spent 500 million, 300 million people. Everybody gets a million dollars. Um, 47 Ronin is a movie that I do not recommend, but uh, 13 Assassins. The opening sequence, though, is br- like there's some really tough to watch, violent, nasty stuff. I almost want to say, like, fast forward through the first 15 minutes and just you'll kind of know some bad guys do some very bad things. And then there's some. There's some uh, samurais who are supposed to stop it. And it's just like one giant sword fight, you know, in the same way that if you watch Black Hawk Down, it's kind of one. It's just one long running gunfight. 13 Assassins is like a lot of sword fighting. 
Uh, so if you're looking for a, uh, here we are, I've been talking about a samurai movie. But anyway, this this movie Kingdom, it's subtitled. It's Korean. The Korean the the costuming is kind of amazing. The fact that anybody, it's period piece. I I can't even tell you what century this is supposed to take place in. It looks to me like maybe the. I don't know, the 16 to the 7. I don't know what 16, 1700s career it looks like, really, but I think that's what it was. Um, but it's, it's, it's okay. I, I, I can't tell you it's great. I'm looking for that show that I'm psyched while I'm stuck here in preemptive quarantine. I'm looking for that show that I'm going to love. I haven't found it yet. You know, that new show. I'm, I'm watching season five of Peaky Blinders. I've given producer Mark so much homework. Now that you're in semi-quarantine too, producer Mark, are you actually going to watch some of my suggestions so you can come on and tell us how amazing my suggestions are? No, I'm going to play video games. No, that's a, that's a, fair, that's a fair play. You know, I have to buy the new uh, baseball game because how else am I going to find out how bad the Mets are going to be this year? Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's what people, if you want to, no, no professional sports right now, right? No Doesn't any all, sports. Yeah, they're all shut down. Yeah. Right now, I should be watching March Madness while pretending to listen to you speak, but in case, but now I actually have to listen to you speak. No, oh, producer Mark has yeah. to do his job and not watch college basketball, folks. This is how this is the state of the world right now. It's tough. It's a tough, tough situation. It is. Mm. So wait, but can I can I give you? I want to give you one movie recommendation that you and Ariel have to. I haven't come up with it yet. But because we want to do your review and you can come on and tell everybody how good right. my recommendations. You can are. give me one good recommendation that I'm actually going to like. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'll give you one rec and then you come on and you give us your review of it. I think that's fair. Uh, we can do that. Yeah, all right. All right. There we mm. go. See, compromise, everybody. That's how we do it here. Uh, wait, I got more. Uh, wait, I got more roll call. I have I've not yet begun to fight. Stay right there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. We got uh, Tim who writes in, Buck and Mark, you guys are both awesome. Thanks for keeping us safe and warm at night. Been a listener since the Blaze days in the podcast. Really appreciate your honest perspective on what can be very difficult topics. You mentioned a while ago that you don't think C-bands work for seasickness. I would tend to agree that it's a total hoax and probably a mental fix more than anything. But my wife and I went on a cruise with some friends, and I was a little nervous about being seasick, so I tried them. Had a great time. Didn't get sick once. Don't knock it till you try it. Shields high. Okay. I mean, hopefully the cruise industry, and I'm not, I'm not actually saying this to be funny. I don't know if the cruise industry is going to be much of an industry unless we get some help to them. I mean, they're in really bad shape right now. But if they have a comeback, I mean, maybe I'll give the wristband a try, and I'll try a cruise at some point. But not anytime soon. Richard, dear Buck, have been listening to podcasts for several months, among a few others. Slowly, it's down to you and one other. Clear, intelligent, entertaining, and informative. We need voices like yours that are patriotic, smart, and capable of critical thinking. Love the Hillary and Bernie voices, too. If you have not, read Jean Kirkpatrick. Her writings are so relevant for today. The more I see of Trump, the more amazed I am at his fortitude and courage. I voted with misgivings, and now I'm deeply impressed by him as a man. The depth of corruption in our government is shocking. Thank God his presidency has started to expose how bad it has become. Well, Richard, thank you so much. And I just, you know, you got to tell me, man, how do I how do I become the undisputed champion of your podcast world? You know, what what's it going to take? Some history, some more voices. Got to tell you guys more about the new girlfriend. Like, what, what do I have to do here to get you to get to the new podcast 
the new podcast level. Yeah, where, Buck has a lot of time to learn new tricks right now. So. Yeah, exactly. Now you guys can make like re- you can make recommendations and suggestions, and I actually am going to be able to do it because you know I'm I'm not. There's no other. I can't go to the gym, just like all the rest of you in places that are under lock. I can't I can't leave my apartment basically. If I leave, it's only to get food. And if somebody within a one block radius of me sneezes, it's like hit the deck. You know, it's bad news. So not good. Jay Buck, could COVID-19 be the final nail in the coffin for the mainstream media? A majority of Americans on all sides already distrust the media. When in the end, all of the hype and panic turn out to be a big nothing burger and people realize they put their lives on hold for nothing. Will they rise up and revolt? Um, Our friend Jay. Um, Huh. You know, that's such a good question. I don't know. I, I, I think that people see here's 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 where this is going to go. Even if this doesn't turn out to be as bad in this country as we've been led to believe, the media will tell us that it wasn't as bad because we did all the things that we were being told to do and because of all the hysteria. So there really isn't a future that I can see where there will be some big backlash against the media. I do think that we should at least for the next couple of weeks, like I'm kind of giving I'm giving the worst case scenario my uh, attention for the next two weeks to see where we are with more data and and the ability of hospitals to deal with the influx and everything else. And then I'm going to reevaluate. But for the next two weeks, I'm really committed to doing as much social distancing and taking this as seriously as I possibly can on my end, because. Look, I'm not a lot of you I know live with far fewer neighbors and you go from your house to your car to the store and back. And that's really your only interaction with the rest of, you know, with with large human populations. Um, I'm walking around on street. I live in the most crowded part of New York and takes I take pretty much the most crowded subway line to get to work every day, multiple times a day. So I'm just living in crowds. So you have to remember that I also have a different feel on this than a lot of you because I walk out of my of my building where I live and I am in the middle of crowds right away there's no I'm not saying I see one or two people on the street that was like when I was in DC I see people well not really right now because of the lockdown but on a normal day you walk out of my building you make a left and you are shoulder to shoulder with people on the streets I mean it's like videos and photos you've seen of you know Hong Kong or Tokyo it's packed so you got to remember, I, I'm coming at it from that that perspective where I know a lot of you are like, Buck, I live on three acres and my the only neighbors I see usually are like some coyotes or a bear or something. Now, that's not all of you, but that's definitely some of you. Yeah, you, you don't have to change all that much. And you've probably got access to well water and plenty of food and you're good to go. Right. Well, for those of us, though, who are around the sneezing, coughing masses, it feels a little bit different. Uh, let's see. Wallace, Buck, your inspiring words are what we need during this crisis while we are keeping our shields high. Thank you. And Semper Fi. Well, Wallace, thank you, man. I'm doing the best I can to make sure that everyone feels like this, this community of Patriots and his team, Buck, that we're all getting through this together and that we can all turn to each other in this very difficult time for support, for information, for truth and for laughs and Honestly, you guys are what's keeping me company right now. This show is you're it for me. I'm, I'm in this apartment. You know, uh, I might get the girlfriend to come and make a visit, but I got to like get her an N95 mask and put her on, a, you know, a, a tricycle or something to get her over here. It's not easy. Uh, all right, team, that's going to be the show for today. Uh, look, 
I look forward to this every day when I get to hang out with you. So we'll talk tomorrow. Please pass the buck, especially people who are in semi-quarantine. If they're looking for a new thing to listen to, tell them to check out this show. Listen on Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, iHeartRadio app. Check it out. The Buck Sexton Show. Uh, Pass the buck and shield tie.